Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian True Crime Live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. Well, within a few years, he's gone from being, you would assume, a prospect for the Common Chariot, which is the most powerful club in the nation, to being the stand-in president when another member went to jail. Anthony Dowsley has been a crime reporter at Melbourne's Herald Sun since 2004. In that time, he's covered everything from homicides, solved and unsolved, to law and order reforms and police corruption. He famously broke the Lawyer X story, ultimately leading to the revelation that lawyer Nicola Gobbo, who acted for many underworld figures, 
was also Victoria Police Informant 3838. This led to a Royal Commission into Police Informants and to a shared Quill Award in 2018 and to the Graham Perkins Award for Journalist of the Year in 2019. But Anthony Dowsley is packing up his desk and moving on. It's the end of an era and we're very honoured to have him in to discuss one of his specialty topics, which is gang-related crime in Australia. We begin this conversation with the interesting story of Hassan Topol, who you may not have heard of, but I have a feeling his story will be immortalised in the future. Not only is he a colourful character, but he's fully embraced technology, like any man his age would, and it may prove to be his downfall. What sort of bikey was he? Because I know these days there's a lot of members of bikey clubs who don't have bikes. Yeah. Is um, he one of them or did he have a bike? Possibly at the start, but I think he had a bike. Mm. And given the way he looks, he was basically at a gym around here as a personal trainer in Brunswick somewhere. Mm. I don't know if that's where he met people that might have been associated with the Comancheros or how he actually got into them. But his ascension up the ranks was very fast. It would have to be. He's very young. So his family wasn't involved in the club? No, no. He was raised in Glenroy. He has a Turkish background mm-hmm. and hadn't really heard of him up until about 2015. And then all of a sudden you are hearing about this guy called Hassan Tapalk. And by 2017, he's in the thick of a large amount of shootings is what he's suspected of. Shootings that uh, were on other members of clubs, rivals, the sort of stuff that can make you a marked man very quickly. But also can make you a hard man within your club. I mean, that's probably how you rise up through the ranks pretty quick, isn't it? Well, within a few years, he's gone from being, you would assume, a prospect for the Comanchero, which is the most powerful club in the nation, Mm. to being the stand-in president when another member went to jail. And I remember when we spoke to you a couple of years ago about the Lawyer X story when that was really, really breaking when Nicola Gobbo was named by you because you were breaking that story in increments over a couple of years. And at the end of the conversation, we said to you, okay, so what's next in gangland? And you said, oh, bikies. Mm. And, And you said, it's not next, it's happening now. And at that time, we weren't really hearing a lot about it in the news, but of course, since then... You've been proven right, and we have heard a lot about it in the news. So this was all happening then. Yeah, there was a, a mix of battles. The Comancheros would now be seen to be a, an extremely powerful group that has links to the Italian mafia. Oh, really? To yeah. the Calabrians? Yeah, so Operation Ironside, which was a major coup of the AFP about two years ago, they developed a, a model where they could they basically put a encrypted device into the Comancheros area. They sold it to their members and others. This is this Anon this app? Is a, yep, this is the Anon app. Oh, my God. I didn't. Re- I knew it, there was a, an issue with it. I did not know it was developed by the cops. Well, it's a Trojan horse. Oh, my God. Developed by the FBI and the Australian Federal Police. Wow. Basically, and they convinced the bikies to adopt it and use it as their app of choice? Yes. Oh, my God. So all millions and millions of pieces of intelligence, all these communications that they were having each other with each other wow. were captured. So it's basically like talking into a microphone <laughs> wow. for a long time. Yeah. 
Hassan Tapal's been caught on it. Thousands have been caught on it. Well, he loved it, right? And he talked other guys into using it. He was like an early adopter. Yeah, and th- there's a fellow by the name of Aik that they think was one of the early adopters. Right. But I think it's spread all over. It was de- basically, I think, the, the guys in Turkey or Middle Eastern Europe around about that area that are living in Dubai and these these Comancheros around there that have fled Australia were probably the early adopters and then it spread. It has been one of the, the most incredible and powerful tools that law enforcement have used in history because it's they're still going through them. They made dozens and dozens of arrests and they have all of this intelligence that they never thought they would ever be able to get. And it's all the communications between different groups, different syndicates, cartels, mafia, bikies, that are all of a sudden they understand more about how drug movement happens, hits go on, Mm. who's ordering who, who's on top of the the chain, Mm. all of these things. So it was an incredible coup. I mean, when you think about people like the Calabrian Mafia, they've been operating for hundreds of years. They would never have had a leak of information like that ever. Not like this. No. No, not like this. So that has been one of the tools on which Hassan Tapal, where he's at and whether he's still involved in the Comancheros or in general criminal activity uh, has come up. And he's still involved. He's still calling the shots from overseas. Mm. But in 2019, he had to get out of Australia and he made the decision to go uh, to Turkey. Why did he have to leave then? Because I can see that up until then, he was very visible. He wasn't trying to to lay low. He uh, post-modelling career, because he is very, very handsome. There's no two ways about it. So post-modelling, I can see in, I think, 20. 18, he was involved in a big brawl in a strip club in Canberra. Mm. And on the CCTV footage, they could see him smashing glass into his own face. Into his own pretty face. So I guess he'd really given up on the modelling by that stage. Mm. And he did um, he did a couple of months in jail for that brawl. Yes. So he wasn't laying low in 2018. No, he wasn't. And the year before that, he is suspected of being involved in two shootings that kill two people who are not the intended targets. So police believe that a man by the name, a young man, um, a teenager, I think, Mohammed Yusuf, I think he was in a garage, and he is not the intended target. He's got no criminal history. He's, He's just a kid. And we believe the intended target was a man by the name of Fashad Rasuli, who lives nearby, mm. and the wrong man is shot. And there is another young man by the name of Zabi Ezija, and he is going into a house where there is a Mongol member living, and that Mongol member is a man by the name of um, Kestia, Mohammed Kestia, uh, otherwise known as Afghan Ali. Now, this is both in 2017. Kestia at that point had just gotten out of prison. Um, His links to the Mongols are only known from his prison days when he's, well, allegedly recruiting members inside prison for the Mongols. Comes out, is basically going to, we think, assert his power and become a big member of the Mongols, probably going to put some Comancheros offside or other members of other other clubs because it's all about your area and 
how forceful you're going to be and who you're going to move in, who's going to move out. So a young man is killed outside Kestia's house. So they're two mistaken identity murders and uh, they are unsolved. This man here, uh, Hassan Topel, is a suspect in both of them, but he's also a suspect of more shootings. Uh, one occurred in on the Balti Bridge when a bandito was shot riding his motorcycle late at night. And there was other shootings, such as the shooting of com- another Comanchero, Mark Balsilli, who ended up with the Mongols. He is suspected of that shooting as well. So by the time he gets out of prison in 2019, after the big Canberra brawl, which was with other Comancheros, so the Victorian and New South Wales teams were having a dispute. Yeah, and this was during one of their big rides, yeah. wasn't it? So they were, it was a big event that yeah, they, they have an the annual. Canberra. Yeah. Maybe get some fireworks. Short bit of porn. Maybe a bit of porn. Yep. And uh, you go to the strip club. Yes. In Fishwick. Yeah. And uh, Smash a few glasses into your head. Smash a bottle in your face. Yeah. That's it. And then so he did some time for that and then when he got out, were they looking at him for these shootings? He would have probably known that. Okay. And he would have also known that, well, we've reported this, that there was police believe there was a contract on his head by then. So what do you do? You're staring down the barrel of either doing years and years in prison or down a real barrel. Mm. Or both probably. Or both. Yeah, because I would think that if he went into prison, there'd be plenty of Mongols members inside Mm. waiting for him too. So he got on a plane and headed for Turkey. Which is where he still is? where he is now. Okay. Um, But interestingly, the Anom found the intelligence that he was still directing underlings here over drug deals. Mm. Um, Pretty significant ones, collecting money really Mm. um, for him. We have to assume, I think it was in the realms of, I think it was 250,000 or something like that. He's unlikely to ever come back here unless there's some cooperation between Australia and the Turkish government and he's extradited, which is not something that they do at the moment. They don't extradite their own citizens. Hassan Tapal has a, a dual citizenship, so he can live there. And, I mean, we're in the internet age, you know. I'm sure he can very effectively run his business. Yes, and he has, obviously, there are others that are part of that gang that are with him mm. uh, or around him. He's known to have gone from different cities within Turkey to do business or maybe get away from authorities. Who knows? He's, well, we think he's still there. Is he high enough on Australia's priority list that they would have someone tailing him, chasing him? If he stepped outside of Turkey, if he went to London for a weekend, would there be someone ready to grab him? I would think so. Okay. He'd be a high-level target. Okay. What sort of line of work are they in, the Comancheros? I think that the legitimate side of it, very much like the model of the mafia or any other major syndicate around the world, like the triads or anything like that, Mm. They all have similar kind of models, and that is to rise up the ranks, get rich, legitimise your money into yes. businesses where you can fund, you can money launder. Like gyms. Like gyms. Yeah. And sometimes restaurants and, and other things, and meet people and become powerful. Mm. But you've always got a target on your back. Yeah. And you meet other men and women sometimes, but mainly men, from other crime groups, then you interact. And you'll find that 
not only do the bikey gangs interact when there's money, commercial interest, they'll get to, uh, together quite peacefully, but then sometimes they don't mm. and there's fallouts. Yeah, because mm. it feels like Sydney was very, very peaceful for a long time, but mm. now lately it, that's all off. Yeah. What's happened there? Well, they have in the western bits of Sydney where there's families that have dominated the drug scene, such as the Hamseys and so forth, they will have their enemies. And those some of those enemies will be within bikey clubs. And I think a bikey club became involved in knocking over a family. Oh. I think it's 7-0 in terms of death. Oh, wow. Hmm. So if you think back to the Carl Williams era mm-hmm. and the Moran's era, Moran era, Carl has an interaction in a park with the two brothers, Mark and Jason. He's shot in the stomach. Shot in the guts. Over money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he starts wiping out those brothers. Yeah. Mm. So a similar thing has and, happened. And the, and the father, of course. Absolutely, Lewis. yeah. Mm. So it's a similar kind of scenario. There's bad blood. One team starts knocking over the other team. And so far, I don't think the Hamsies have hit back, but, you know, who knows? And to see, the rest of us don't understand the teams. So I had no idea it was so one-sided. One team was so successful. They have connections with with the Comanchero and they're the sort of the most powerful bikey gang going around. They're not the only powerful one, but they seem to have been the one out of all of them that have connected themselves to extremely high drug importation. The Comancheros yep. have boasted that they have such power that they can impose a tax on the docks. So if you are Mr. Drug Dealer from somewhere else or from in Australia, you've got to pay them a tax for safe passage to get through what they call the door of the docks. So drug trafficking heavily relies on what you call an insider, a trusted insider, someone who works in the shipping industry or on the docks or maybe both to get your drugs into the country. They can be dumped at sea. They can be put in compartments within boats. They can be put in containers on boats. Um, The most recent activity is they're getting huge industrial magnets they're getting divers to go beneath these huge tankers and they're sticking their drugs to either the outside of the boat, underneath the waterline, yeah. and then they get divers in cold grey water <laughs> to go and lift these hundreds of kilos and take them mm. from docks around Australia or New Zealand or wherever they may stop. It's all about the safe passage of those drugs. I mean, how much is this industry worth, do you think, just just within Australia? Billions. Yeah, billions. Yeah. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Remind us about the, the very famous uh, tomato can drug haul. The tomato tins tomato from tins. 2007. Yeah. Yep. Because this was a Calabrian venture. Yes, headed by them. Yep. Yes. There was a Pascali Barbaro involved. And I, I've got a special place in my heart for the Pascali Barbaros because there's always a Pascali Barbaro involved in a... All over the place. I know. There's so many of them. It makes it terrible for picture editors because they yes. don't know which Pascali Barbaro they're going to pick. Which one? Because I think one of the very first uh, Italian families to come out to Griffith was the Barbaros, right? I think the Sergis and the Barbaros yeah. are very significant in Griffith, yes. Yeah. So tell us about the tomato tins and how this factors in, doesn't it, to the Comancheros? There's a crossover, isn't there? There was one old bikey that was in the um, tomato tins right. shipment. Mm. Uh, so there was 3,000 tins in a container. It, it was at the time the biggest In the drug. world. Biggest, biggest drug ecstasy drug bust in the world. Yeah. These tins were in a container aboard the MV Monica, a, a uh, big container ship traveling from Naples to Melbourne. And the thing that you have to organize if you're going to bring $440 million worth of ecstasy into the country is you need to get it from the container and you need it to get it through the docks. So that's where... Um, freight forwarding people and dock experts become important. And in this instance, there may have been a change happening in the dock expert. And the allegation was, and he was convicted of it, is that a man by the name of Rob Karam, who is not a mafia member. He's not, he's, I don't think he's Italian. He's of Lebanese background. He is alleged to have been involved and he's convicted of that. And I think he gets into it late because Pasquale Barbaro might have lost the guy that he was going to get to get it through the docks. But unfortunately for Rob, they call him Robbie Rockstar Karam. He used to be a big mate of uh, Tony Mockbells. Mm. They, they did major attempted huge imports together. Either he or someone else 
gives the shipping document, the, the piece of paper you need to get your goods through the docks. Either he or another person gives it to Nicola Gobbo for safekeeping. Oh, well, I mean, if you can't trust your lawyer. She's a big friend of his. Yeah. They spend a lot of time together outside of your professional capacity. And the uh, shipping document is in Italian. She happens to be able to read and speak Italian. Mm -hmm. So she calls up her police handlers and obviously either Rob or another man has no idea about this, neither did anyone else except for the police, and hands it over. Wow. And they know exactly what's coming in, in which container, possibly even how many there might be. Yeah. And they just have to wait for it. So they they can't really divulge to other authorities how they've got this document or where their information has come from. So they, there's a bit of rigmarole around that. But to cut this story short, they're waiting for it to come in. And when it comes in, they start off a year-long investigation. They don't even expose to the media what happened to this. They don't say, oh, we've got a world record drug seizure. That doesn't come out. No one's, no one's told. But they continue to track these people for more than a year before they make their arrests the following so, so they let the pingers into the country? Well, no, they just they, keep they them. destroy them. They kept them. Okay. Um, and um, But they tracked back where they came from, so they went back and they found the canning factory. Well, I think there was a legitimate com- yeah. company that had no idea right. that were just expecting tomato tins wow. uh, full of tomatoes yeah. or tomato paste. But in the end, they were able to follow the group as they wondered what the heck had happened to their drugs <gasps> and all of the fallout that happens because it is worth, well, let's say, might have been worth 10 or 20 or $30 million that they had to pay their European oh, yeah. friends. Yeah, yeah. So, they still had to pay for the yeah. drugs even though they hadn't received them. So let's call him Pasquale Barbaro, big Pasquale Barbaro. Mm-hmm. There's many of them. Let's call him the big one. Yeah. He has to negotiate to go back to Italy where he is driven at gunpoint to meet other people. And you can imagine how this would all go. How are you going to pay us? Have you ripped us off? All this sort of stuff. Mm, And he's got to say, I don't know. I don't know what's happened. I don't know. We were there. Yep. We had the paperwork. We were waiting. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, they find out a year later when, you know, 30-odd people are arrested what's happened. Uh, but they don't know anything about Nicola Gobbo, who actually comes and um, represents some of them, gives them some legal advice at this point, as well as other lawyers. And it all takes years and years and years to go through the courts. But there were many people involved. So you had sort of some very significant mafia figures, including Pascal Barbaro, mm. a guy called Zarilli, and others involved. But you also had Rob Karam mm-hmm. and you had... Um, a guy by the name of John Higgs. Now, I don't know if you know that name. No, I don't think so. So he's an old bugger. Mm. He's been around for donkey's years and they credit him with starting the Black Yulans Bikey Club. Wow. Right, so he's our old bikey. So he's the old bikey that's involved. Right. Now, uh-huh. there might have been bikies on the outskirts that would have done the distribution yeah. for this whole ecstasy thing, yeah. but it didn't get that far. Um, so a whole heap of people went to prisons, some didn't uh, they got about 31 convictions or so definitely more than 30 convictions over it and some of those guys because of uh Nicolo Gobbo's involvement 
and uh, Joseph Aquaro, another lawyer, uh, he's involvement in that case. They are continuing to appeal, and and Rob Karam will hit, have his final appeal probably by the end of this year. Yeah. Now he's serving like oh, thirty seven years in jail. Mm. He would be halfway through it, so he's looking at halving his sentence. Mm, because um, of Nicola's involvement. Yes. In both his uh, conviction and as his legal representative. Yes. <laughs> now, do you think they're sort of extracting that cartel out of Australia's drug industry, did that open up a gap for people like the Comancheros to come in? Well, I think from my perspective, they work hand in hand with those kinds of people. Mm. And... They've got not just a distribution role, but they've got docs roles that we said about that tax. They've got. Mm. They do know. now, but like what happens when arrests like that are made? Like when major players like that are plucked out of the industry, for want of a better word, all of a sudden, is, is there a vacuum? Is there a, a space left? Well, I think that the mafia, especially the Calabrian mafia or the Nandrangheta, as they call them, mm. They control, they say, around about 80% of the world's cocaine. Mm-hmm. So I don't know exactly how it works, but you've got the cartels in South America that make the drugs and you've got the Italians, Calabrians of, of many different areas working together to get them around the world. So they've got the allegiances with the cartels in South America and they've got the allegiances with large bikey gangs and probably others for where it comes to and gets sold. We have some of the highest prices in the world for cocaine and the demand here is thirsty. Very, very high. Mm. Um, it's you know, it's commonplace for people to take it on a night out. So the demand is so high that where you have find that much demand, you'll always find that there will be a supply. Yeah. There's yeah. lots of money in it. And also I wonder, do you think the Calabrians have a, the Ndretta, which is such a great word that no one can say except mm. Calabrians, do they have, I guess they probably have a system whereby they promote someone up if they lose a few people in a market, can they yeah. replace them? Yeah, so we, we talk about Pasquale Barbaro, not we, but it was generally said that he was the ringleader mm. because he was the top of the chain. Mm. He was the top of the chain of who they caught. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I don't think he was the top of the chain. No. So there is always family members and associates that are in that world that are always looking to take the place. There's no shortage of people to do mm. the work yep. and they're extremely organised, mm. extremely organised. Promote from within. You're yes. Not, you're not putting it up on seek.com.au. And that's one of the, I guess, the powerful things, the reason that it became so endemic is that because it all revolves around blood ties with the mafia, you're born into it, unlike other crime groups. Yeah. And also, do you think that's why, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we don't hear much about that group in the news. Like We had our gang wars that we had in the 90s and the early 2000s were kind of more of a bogan Australian gang members. Mm -hmm. This we're talking about bikies. And as we said earlier, we've had the Calabrian groups around for hundreds of years and there's lots of great movies about them but we Mm. don't really and truly hear i don't see you writing a series about them or things like that really in the media are Um, they better at it yes they don't get their hands dirty so they're removed some of them are potentially household names that are associated with these groups 
they get themselves into legitimate businesses, although they don't divorce themselves from criminal activity completely, that's not what they're doing day in, day out. So they're almost like advisors. They p- People seek their advice, like you would see in this scene in, in The Godfather. Mm. If there's a problem, they'll seek advice from the top of the tree. But you've got to, f- even mafia members don't, that might come here from other countries don't necessarily know what the top of the tree is. They have to find out. So you'll find that they're generally, if you're near the top of those groups, you are running mainly in circles which are legitimate. Mm. In the 70s and early 80s in Australia, there was a politician called Al Grasby, mm-hmm. senator. Yes, I remember him. Yes, I vaguely remember him. And I remember my parents laughing and saying, oh, he's a gangster. Yes. It and seemed obvious. It Well, looking back, certainly. And, and as I say, it seemed like an open secret in mm. Australia. Mm. And he obviously denied it. So that's outrageous. Did he have links with the Calabrians? That's what they think. Mm. I mean, I think that he was seen visiting or associating with Griffith uh, families. Mm. And Griffith is the stronghold of, and traditionally, of the Calabrian Mafia or the Ndrangheta Mm. uh, in Australia. But you'll find that um, there are significant families in South Australia and Perth. Keith Moore, uh, you know. And Melbourne. Keith Moore is not a member. No, he is not. I was going to say, no, I was going to say a former colleague of yours. Yes, he, he knows a lot about it. He does. He wrote that great, great book. And because uh, I just want people to know, you and I are not making this up about Griffith. We're not maligning Griffith, the town. No, it's a good town. And, yeah. And, and, and this is a fact. Crimson Grass Castles, yes. the true story of Trimboli, Mr. Asia. And um, look, it's a great book and it's extraordinary, the history mm. of, of the town. And, you know, the town became significant because of the murder of Donald McKay. A politician. In the 1970s. Was, yeah. He was campaigning on an anti-drugs policy and there was marijuana crops all over the place. Yeah. You know, that, that, that wasn't the beginning for them. They'd been here for many, many, many years. Mm. But... Griffiths became synonymous with some families and they remain there. I, I, I must say there's a, there's a gentleman, I can't remember his name, he's a, he's a lawyer. He's part of the Calabrian Cultural Society and he's made a big fuss of late about using the Calabrian Mafia and he's complained to the AFP and he's complained to a few media outlets and they are hoping we call them the Drangheta, which is hard to say. Yeah, it's so it's too hard to say. Yeah, um, Drangheta. More and more and more. Spell Drangheta for us, just well, so listeners hard. understand why it's so hard I'll to say. I'll probably spell it wrong. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and find it. It's, a, it's an apostrophe first. Oh God, right? And then an N. N D R A N G H E T A. Right. Yeah. Okay. Drangheta. One of the things that's interesting though is that um, people that head these groups. Power is a big part of it. Yeah. And political power. So turning the money that they've accumulated over time into legitimate money has often come through huge property developments or buying big slabs of land. Mm. And that's part of it. Mm. It's been going on for decades. Yeah, it's kind of always the thing, isn't it? Mm. Like inner city real estate, that kind of stuff? Anywhere. Yeah. Yep. And sometimes convincing friendly politicians, if they can, to turn pieces of industrial land into residential land. Mm. And, it, and the price skyrockets overnight. So Australia has a long history of gang-related crime. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, many of us came out here as convicts. So true. Mm. Yeah, and it's worth remembering, isn't it? Mm. 
I, I often think that for some reason lately I've been really harking back to that thinking, yeah, we have a long history of sort of imagining that there's a very clear fine line between criminals and good people. You know, we have this idea that it's kind of okay, that it's, you can have a bit of a laugh about it. It's, and I think that's because that's what we were built on. Well, I think that there's, uh, criminals often give a lot of colour to our city. Yes. Like, you know, Ned Kelly was a criminal. Yeah. And he goes down in folklore. And Chopper Reed. Chopper Reed. I think there's part of our culture that does mythologise the larrikin criminal. Mm. We can't forget the destruction. Mm. And um, that's a serious part of it. And it basically is part of the fabric of any society, the criminal element. No matter where you are. Thank you to our very special guest, Anthony Dowsley. And you can hear more of Anthony Dowsley on the podcast, The Devil's Apprentice. It's the story of one of Australia's most shocking crimes, the murder of two policemen in cold blood. It's also the story of one of the men convicted of that crime and his 22-year fight for freedom. That's The Devil's Apprentice, and you can subscribe to that podcast wherever you subscribe to all of your other podcasts. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. 